Hello, everybody, and welcome to 2024. Julian Jones Live is was live, I should say, is back for 2024. And, you know, we've had quite the response to some of the shows that we had. We had some amazing guests, and uh, we have another amazing guest back on the show today. And the reason why I invited her back on the show is because she reached number one out of all of our listeners. You all found her the most favourable. She's been the most, hmm, I don't know, she's such a, an eclectic conversation with Yolandi Robinson. Now, Yolandi Robinson is a psychotherapist, an art therapist, a trauma counsellor. She's styled in uh, styled talent in TVCs and, and dramas and on stage as a stage manager. She's travelled doing that. And now she's a psychotherapist, art therapist, trauma counsellor for children. Welcome back to the show, Yolandi Robinson. How are you? Hey, Jules. I'm well. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right. I, I, it's quite apt that that uh, you became number one last year. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's quite a surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the magical thing about sharing podcasts. These incredible things do seem to happen consistently afterwards and it's it's such a positive, empowering thing. It's like you put something out there and you definitely get it back. Well, I think also you, you get back from these things yourself and, I mean, I danced around listening to my podcast because I was like, oh, don't want to hear myself. And then got a lot from actually hearing the way you put together the connections in my life. So, you know, in a funny way, you were like doing therapy <laughs> with me. So you reconnect. I was like, oh, that just does make sense. So it was such a great experience just for me personally. Oh, so thanks. thank you. Yeah. Uh, oh, no worries. It's I've, I'm a bit like you. It's really hard to listen to yourself because I guess, you know, I think Kim Hope was one of our guests last year, a UK, an Australian com- comedian in the UK now. If you haven't heard, have a listen, Kim Hope. Fantastic woman. But she was saying, you know, it's most of us have this imposter syndrome or who would want to listen to me? Yeah. How annoying was my voice? All those messages that we give ourselves. Yeah, totally. Or, Very common. And and some of the best of the best do it. Well, I think it's just part of our human nature. You just gotta step in and try to push that a little mm-hmm. <laughs> to benefit yourself and just gonna come on, get past that bit and listen to what's going on. Oh yeah, and you and I are doing that today. Yeah. We are. Well, I just wanted to quickly advise my audience, yo. Because there are, there have been a lot of inquiries about where have you gone, what's going on, you haven't been doing any more podcasts. And I've, I've stayed relatively quiet, very, very busy, working seven days a week, 12-hour, 14, 15-hour days, walking 20Ks a day, absolutely insane. And I am in flood recovery from the 2022 floods. But uh, without going into too much detail, yo, I... I, there is a GoFundMe page which I'm going to put a link to here because we are in such a transitional period and it has really impacted my um, capacity over the last 12 months. And I've really wanted to do podcasting, but I just 
there's so many priorities and, and making things safe is obviously one of the most important things. But I really wanted to talk to you about as an opening topic is I had people say to me, you can't start a GoFundMe for that. First of all, the damages have come to 500000 and I was fully insured and it hasn't worked in my favour. It's zip, zero, mm-hmm. nothing. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's about what next and it is in limbo land at the moment and I've got big decisions to make, yeah, but then you have people saying, you can't put up a GoFundMe page. Like, I've been homeless and, you know... It's like, hmm, it, it was damned if I do, damned if I don't. It's desperate measures, yeah. Like I've got four furry animals to look after and if I don't stay here, they've all got to go to strangers and that's freaking overwhelming. But I wanted to talk to you about people's opinions when you're going through crisis. <laughs> What's well, difficult, isn't it? Because I suppose we relate everything to our own experience. Experience. And we do have this, and even I, you know, do it every now and then. I, I think I try to capture it, you know, where you, and I suppose my clinical practice, you know, I'm always working on judgment, pushing that away and making sure that's not in the story. Um, but every story is individual. So who's to say, you know, there's so many bits of the story missing in, in a translation as well. You know, you, you get benchmarks of what's gone on but not not the detail and that builds can can build a very damaging story um and i think knowing a bit more about your experience over the past year or so that you know it becomes a real survival mode and and a lot of our systems even though they're there to help and it's not a criticism, mind you, I've probably got a few things I can say about that, um, really set up survivors and people struggling It's a tick-the-box scenario. Mm. Yes. And it's very constant. And even though you're in recovery and everyone's mindful, and I think you said the other day there was there's a compassionate department or somewhere, and I thought, what a strange name for a service. Mm have because I doubt very much there is a lot of genuine compassion when it's um, connected to a service and an agenda. Mm. It, it, it just, I felt like maybe a different word could have been used there. It was sort of um, desensitising the word really. Um, For sure. So I think, you know, and I relate, you know, your story to – it's a concept of trauma which affects us both mentally but physically and body response. So you're, at the same time that these things are happening to you, um, your body is having a response. So day-to-day simple tasks, memory, you know, energy levels, all that are at a peak level of defunct basically and you've got to rebuild that whilst all these things are going on. So I think, you know, when people judge, should you set up a GoFundMe page, it's uh, acknowledgement that, oop, I need some help. That's also not a very, um, what do you call it, um, 
popular Australian way. If you seek help, we're very quick to, you know, why well, what's wrong with you? Mm. You know, it's it's all it's not just like, oh, okay, I'll come and support that. We're very much in a throw it back at the person that's seeking it. Whereas help seeking is a way to engage with people and get support and connect and acknowledge other people a part of our lives and can help us. So I I think, you know, it makes sense to me that you set up and it's quite positive that you can set up things of, hey, I need a bit of help here. Can I have something? (laughs) (laughs) Like that's a positive thing. That's what I try to get kids in the school. You know, part of my job is to get them to self-seek support when they need it. Yeah. So why on earth as an adult is that not acceptable? What I'm not too sure about that. It's it's so interesting because I I, I I think sorry I'm in a little bit, but it but it's right. it's kind of it's it's not so easy to talk about yourself. Um, no, why no, you're, no, no, not at all. Why you're in state? I'd rather talk about other things, and we will. But yeah. I just found it very interesting. Is is the hostility? towards you when you are in need i think if you say that i find if you say that in australia a lot of people are like would you shut up and come and have a glass of wine with all of us and eat some cheese yeah well i think is it hostility or is it a deflection and uh uh, defensiveness maybe i don't know i think some of it was definitely hostile like you can't do that and oh, that, were they linked to like personal? It's possible that when it when it's really personal connection, it can be that because right. there'll be other uh, what do you call it tributaries that have connected to other parts of that relationship, maybe. Mm. And and then it yes, it comes back with mm. a whole lot of other loading. Interesting. <laughs> that wasn't actually meant to be, maybe, but it's it's sure. very. It just reminds me of that those discussions about things like depression and saying to someone, "Oh, come on, you'll be over it soon." Mm-hmm. That's it's very an interesting one. Is and it's like those inappropriate lines, and it's, it, it actually tells you that that person really has no idea what this person's going through. Yeah, and so I, my first response to a hostile response to someone in need or in a severe situation as you have been would be that that's actually a reflection on their understanding of what's going on. It's not really about you. Yeah. Okay. But in that time, it it hurts because you're sort of expecting or hoping for some nurture and support in that, but it's, it comes, you're yet again a bit of a, iceberg on your own there well, <laughs> that's not very helpful well and no it's not but you know like you, you've had your own moments in life and we're actually friends so we do communicate a little bit and support one another and yeah and i can hear some of the most oh, it drives me crazy but the most simply dismissive comments that people have made towards you that i've been like what how can people like say oh, think yourself lucky you've got a home 
for example, comments like uh, that. Yeah. But if you think about that, and in the moment, my response is a bit like, oh, for example. But in <laughs> in um, reflection, when I look at that, I think, well, you don't know the backstory. You mm. don't really need to know the backstory. Mm. <laughs> and, and it's really, so that's when my brain says it's really not about me. It was actually about them. And it's a bit unfortunate. Yeah. In, and I think that does happen all the all the time through our daily dealings, you know, and often I say the little people, you know, because when we talk about bullying in school, you know, there's that lens that you've got to gently support kids to learn what empathy is and try to get that understanding of maybe the other person has a different experience or... Um, different perspective and that's okay you don't always have to agree with it and and that's the start of the work we do about um, why someone might bully not always mind you not always <laughs> there's many different layers in there but yeah so about the person who's who said what they said and what was really the purpose behind saying something so blunt or not so much in my case, they're kind of flippant mm. comments and I can usually flip them back <laughs> quietly in my head <laughs> and think, you know, okay, all right, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's not the person I go to next time in that discussion. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's really hard when to even I – th- I find having that thought, like maybe I don't go back to you for that discussion is heartbreaking because you love that person so much. And, yeah, that's it, – it's quite disheartening, isn't it? You, you, I think you – ha- and yeah. you really have to split the hair in that moment and go, look, I really do love that person and yeah. they, they have the right to be tired of your voice <laughs> or yeah. – yeah, perhaps they've... Well, and I suppose there's also one thing I've, you know, realised too, and quite often I can turn into quite a hermit, mm-hmm. um, is that a bit a bit of that, you know, you've got big stories yeah. and people can't always hear all of that because they've actually got their own big story going on. Yeah. <laughs> and how much do we, you know, so sometimes I... I have been known to disappear a bit and I just disappear to be quiet in my own space to let things settle um, in my own head and that's when I do all my drawing and, and regain energy and just rest and all that sort of thing. But um, So there are reasons why people can't always hear us but it, ma- it, does, it makes that relationship thing very big and difficult sometimes because if you're in need to you're kind of putting your hand out and sort of saying can you do something and when you don't get that response it's, it can it's like another chink in the armor you know that you've already got disheveled at your feet anyway because <laughs> you're completely broken wow that yeah. That armour thing. I, I tell you what, I found a lot of solace in Sia's music and reading about Sia. And oh, my God, I loved it. Sh- I mean, her far out. I heard something. I heard her singing Chandelier in a cappella the other day. <laughs> and 
I, it was haunting. A few things that – so body response was a great point you made earlier, but also one thing I wrote down when you were talking was getting kids to learn empathy. How do you get a kid to learn empathy? Yo. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's, it's such a hard discussion that because it's so variant, it's so – it's just not as clear as giving a simple definition. And, and so it has to be in practice. It has to be through um, most discussions. And I've got to say, you know, particularly with um, the teachers I work with at the moment and my last school, of the teachers there were very good at making sure that most of the conversations they had, like schoolyard disagreements and things like that was then examples like practice examples of how do you think that person may have felt at that time and how do you so that we start to grow that there is a different perspective or right or wrong wrongly it's not really about that because a lot of you see in little kids a lot of defence modes when they're very young. Is you're wrong, and it's based on you know maybe what mum and dad have said or a grown up, or because they do they they parrot and deliver what they've learned until they experience something else, and that's their growing. And I suppose adults we we don't change in that either. We're all still growing, except that quite often we're like we take that mode that well I'm the adult. So I know best. And it's like, well, yeah, you're still learning as well. But so it's in practice, the empathy. And and so when I maybe counsel kids through incidents and things like that, it is very much um, I do cognitive behavioural therapy and I do like a action behaviour and consequence chart, which actually changed to the word consequence because I don't like that word, to learning. And, and so the child just has to work down what happened, why do you think that happened, and what do you know now? Great. And those three things then start to form a breakdown of tricky moments mm. and are part of the learning of empathy because you start to see there's a different perspective. Because usually what the action is the incident, you know, so-and-so hit me in the face with a cricket bat, um, why do you think that happened? And by the time they write that down, it's usually like, well, I said something a bit mean and then they did this and they did that. And then once they've done that, then what do you know now? Maybe I shouldn't have said those things to begin with and then maybe I wouldn't have got the response I thought, you know, the response that I did get. Sure. And so they've proven to themselves that there was a bit of a pattern in the behaviour, and it's not—it's not about punishment, and it's not necessarily about who's wrong. It's just breaking down that experience. So yeah, that's sort of the basis of my empathy okay. work and teaching. And I also imagine, obviously, kids do mirroring. So yeah. they're also watching how you might respond, how you, yeah. how empathetic you might be as a person. So if they're hearing your girlfriend Donna talk about losing her grandmother yesterday, the child's going to be hearing your response and how compassionate and empathetic you are to your girlfriend's loss. Yeah, 
Yeah, very much. So it's the language, you know, throughout, and that's like I was saying before, you know, the teachers these days, in particularly in the school I'm in at the moment, are really good at expressing the thought of, oh, maybe that makes me feel uncomfortable or someone feel uncomfortable. Can we pick a different way of saying that? And um, it's just in their whole approach to language and situation. Mind you, they're in a class full of a lot of little people doing a whole lot of little things at once. (laughs) (laughs) Moments get missed, but it's quite extraordinary to watch. Mm. So, yeah, it is. They do parrot. You've got to lead by example. You've got to really try to. You do. You know, and I often, uh, I'm pretty well known for naming my mistakes or my bloopers, you know, so that kids see that, you know, even leaders or uh, staff members do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they need to see that human. And that, like I say to them, you know, you're in, you're in school to learn. If you knew everything, you wouldn't be here yeah like it's about learning and testing all these theories it's not you don't come here to be the best to get an a and well that's a tick the box oh my god don't start me on that yeah um you know because yeah yeah, oh my god that tick the box um who made those boxes um yeah so that's what school's about interacting and learning what does and doesn't work with others and possibilities and perspectives and all, all right. those beautiful things. All right. So before we go to tick the box, the other thing that you, <laughs> the, the other thing that you brought up was why someone might bully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's many dimensions to that. It's usually um, all my experience, there's usually a hurt in the background a story of hurt and that's not an excuse for the behaviour but um, because all behaviour is a response so even if you're bullying someone you are it's it's a response there can be an intent with that response and behaviour um, but in, in a child that is usually a bit learnt as well so there's often something lurking in the background as to why so you need to proceed with unpacking the story of what's happening to the person that's being bullied primarily at the beginning, but the work isn't really done until you also work with the bully or the, I don't know, all those horrible names, perpetrator, you know, um, because there'll be hurt and a backstory there that needs possibly some help. As to why, often in, especially in younger school levels, um, it's not feeling okay. They, they're not feeling okay about something. So what is it? What is making them feel like they need to behave like that? Sure. Yeah. So there's quite it's quite complex and a lot of work for both people, and then even the peer group because it's created a behaviour in a peer group. And um, it can even, on some occasions, I was reading some documents and I I do feel it's uh, a a little bit of a thing that once a student 
is possibly perceived by a peer um, and being taunted or bullied. You know, even uh, staff members can behave in a certain way towards them as well because that's their position in the class, even though it's not... I don't think I've put that very well. No, um, oh, you kind of have, yeah. I think. Yeah, so that's the thing as well. So sometimes you have to watch that because, you know, if the kids think so-and-so is irritating and they're always taunting them about that and they've left them out, um, quite often that tone can be carried through through staff and their treatment of that person. You know, oh, yes, that kid's irritating, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, oh, hold on. You know, where did we get this from? Well, it leads. It, 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 look, I mean, and uh, from what I'm hearing, the main point is there's a story behind the bully where they've got their own pain and their own traumatic experiences that they're going through yeah. or had done to them. Yeah. But it brings me into kind of the tick the box kind of uh-huh. area. Because we were were talking about compassionate teams and so let's, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw this out there because it's, it's quite a broad spectrum. We don't have to name anyone in particular, but banks, for example, have compassionate teams. What? I I don't think those two words should go together, but anyway. Well, I think they should. I think they, they, they most certainly should though. And there's, well, they should, but they're not going to, Jules. So I think... So, because they're way too business and money, um, their agenda is about what they've got yep. primarily, not what, not what you want. Yep. Um, it's not like the old days where where they were generally there to support you. Their, their agenda is to get your business and if you tick the blaster box, then they'll loop you in, but if you can't fulfil it, they will drop you down Mm. and won't have anything to do with that. So when you have a mechanism like that, then I think it is very much the wrong place for compassionate, that word, to... um, I think it's it's a buy-in to to gain, you know, we're caring about you, and it's like, yeah... I think it suggests to people, you know, we're here. To help you. To help you. And at the end of the day, and I do get a bit uh, short about this, is that they are not a therapeutic or welfare service. They are attached to a corporate body. Yeah. Who have an agenda. They have a clear agenda. And at that point, I have difficulty. Like, and I don't dismiss every now and then you get the most unbelievable human being that works within that realm. That you do. But it also depends who their manager is and what their benchmarks are. At the end of the day, they've got to tick the bloody box. Pardon my French. No, you're right. And mate. they need to tick their boxes. And those people in distress are not. Boxable, <laughs> for want of a better word. So, so I just no, it's unacceptable. It's a bit like I discussed with a few people, financial counsellors, and you can get a financial counsellor through so many avenues, but they're 
attached usually to a service or a corporation um, for a reason of also being seen to be supportive doesn't really mean that they are. But you can actually get a financial counsellor that is linked to a not-for-profit organisation and their agenda is purely to help you. Wow. Good advice. That's it. Yeah. So there's a very big difference. It doesn't mean the others aren't helpful. You've just got to be mindful that what is it, why are they saying that, you know, it's a bit like all those beautiful, you know, you, tr- you do those payment things on your utilities and things like that and, you know, you get talked at for an hour and a half whilst you're in distress because you rang them to to sort something out and by the end of it you're cross-eyed because you don't know. There's a lot of words coming at you and it's all a bit confusing and the offer is, you know, a higher, a higher rate but you get the big discount for the next two years or something. It's attached to their agenda to capture you so that you're then locked in at this other level eventually. And so why is that financial? I mean, it's financial support in the moment, but it really doesn't free a person in distress at that point. So, yeah, those compassionate words, in corporate and business world, mm. Mm, okay, I'm a bit, I'm a bit skeptical. Yeah. So, how can we? What would be the ultimate balance there? How? What would you place? Would you advise that that kind of corporate team? How do you? Should they bring in third party compassionate therapists? Well, I, I do think there needs to be um, an independent level. Sure. Definitely. I think. and, and it Because makes, a duty of care really is probably one of the biggest reasons why? Yes. Yep. Definitely. Sure. And I think accountability. I think we've got huge problems Ooh, yep. with accountability. I think. They're busy I, telling you, though, that you're the one who hasn't been accountable because you can't pay your bills. Yes, well, and that's quite often what happens to these people. It's like that ugly tennis match and the ball comes back at you. And that's when you know it's wrong because it's become a bit of a ugly game and all of a sudden you seem to be in trouble again when in actual fact you were seeking counsel. help. Yeah, counsel and guidance from mm. what you, who you thought was an expert, but he's now telling you that you're, and, and that's when I, it, it gets very murky. It's attached to the wrong um, agendas, I feel. It's not actually about care. It's, um, it's about business. Yeah. Yeah, and look, and yes, bottom dollar, but you, you bottom dollar, but you, you're talking to people that have hit rock bottom. Exactly, and they're in so, no state. They're, they're usually in no, in no state to discuss that. Yeah. So you often, those people often push those people further. Mm, they do. Yep. Very and dangerous. Then, very, very, very dangerous. And then it gets worse because in actual fact, in many scenarios, there's nowhere for that person to voice mm-hmm. what's actually going on. So the good old Australian way is shut the hell up pick yourself up off the floor, dust yourself off and go and grab that wine and cheese and start laughing with your mates. Get on with it. 
Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I think I think some elements of our services have definitely got better, but I think there's, um, you know, government bodies definitely are um, people are not accountable at the point that they should be, yeah. and the processes, you know, things like work cover you know, delays in putting forms in and responding to people's pays at the time when they're in distress, the person that actually makes that mistake is never accountable. Yes. And you can be pretty much guaranteed they're on a way better wage than the poor person that's fallen off the system. But there is nothing that makes them accountable for that damage. And until that happens, um, I don't know that we're going to get better at this. Yeah, we're just going to need more therapists. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things we have more distressed people. One of the things that I heard throughout several of my friends going through hardship and conversations they would have was, um, let's look at your last year's figures and the year before. Now, if you're if you're a um, a a, uh, a, a you have high capacity at yes. being able to earn usually. If then mm-hmm. suddenly, I'm going to use the words, let's say you've been assaulted in some way physically and suddenly your capacity, you know, you've traumatised, you're undiagnosed and you, you can't go out into the world and you can't face people, you can't have conversations like you used to, so your capacity's halved. And then they say, so you're going to them because you've hit rock bottom and they go, well, let's look at your figures from the year before and the year before and we'll base on whether or not you're able to get a bank freeze, for example, this year. Because it it looks like you did really well. And I was like, actually, it's now that I'm in trauma, not not those last two years. I was a high, say, a high earner back then. But yeah. if someone's had a car accident and they physically haven't been able to do that work in the 12 months and you're looking at figures two years back, not the latest six months or last three yes, months. It's not, it's not actually reflecting this story. No. no. But anyway, look, let's move on from that because, you know, I wanted to bring it up and we, we did both want to cover a couple of those little areas because there are definitely cracks in the floors where people do fall through the cracks or they say don't let them fall through the cracks and pass them on to the next person let's not let them fall through the cracks and pass them on to the next person and it continues so and they lose your story all the way along they lose parts of the story and and people don't always give you the right advice early on that could have saved you oh, no, that's two doozy, years of your it? life. In hindsight, you should have blah, 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 blah. Been told and that. I get, <laughs> I get that quite often and and the person is distressed because had they known if they'd applied for this, they could have got this. But at that time, they were in no state <laughs> to do that. And then the system just goes, well, sorry, you missed the, the date of, you know, application. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there's that. And so You've therefore the it's your fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think it's we're getting better at understanding the complexities of that. But For I suppose sure. the system does not want to open up the gates because it would be, you know, out of control. Yeah. Um, it'd be quite a scary thing to 
examine, I think. <laughs> I think. Yeah. You know, and we've still got a long way to go with work cover with um, mental health issues because most of the benchmarks are physical. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so a lot of those, you know, the building capacity that you were talking about, it, you know, a person can return back to work for two days a week but spend five days pulling themselves together <laughs> to get there for the two days and then the tick the box person goes, oh, you're okay, you're there for two days. Let's do three. Uh, and then while, while you're there, you're like, you've got, oh. you're like, I, I, I've, I've built up to this for the last five days yeah. and I'm actually here now. And then you're in it well, yeah. in, in, in anxiety maybe or. Oh, totally. So it does offer, you know, if you, if you don't do it carefully, the exposure therapy, it can give you another bit of a glitch. Yeah. And then one of the, somebody I was talking to, we, we were kind of laughing, but it wasn't very funny, was that their whole week seven days is actually about work. Yeah, right. As in they're, the wor- whole, they're working yeah. seven days or it's in their mind? Well, no, it, well, it's in their mind because even their recovery is really about their the work damage and the burnout. Oh, yes. And, and so in actual fact, as far as getting on with just general life, yeah. that's not even a category at the minute. It's yes. just post-it notes and lists to get to the next to get to the job for two days. So we've got a fair way to go with that stuff, I think. But post, yeah. Post-it notes. I wonder if anyone actually has post-it, post-it notes on their sun visor so when they pull their sun visor down, they can sort of go, look. I you used know. to, but they fell off. Did you? I yeah, they don't stick on them. That's <laughs> so there you, go. you didn't think it was a huntsman dropping on you? Oh, God, don't do that. Yeah. Yes. No, 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 no. I used to have them when I did all of the, uh, the buying, um, the film wardrobe buying, I, because they would constantly ring me to pick up another thing or grab another thing or other. Sure. And the phones weren't as brilliant as they are now. So um, I used to have to post it. No, and they'd, like, they'd fly out the window and terrible stuff that I couldn't. And I was like, God, what was it on that post it night? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank God for uh, our phones now, right? So much better. I know, better. it's a whole different, yeah, yeah. So much better. Yeah. Um, so uh, what we were saying, you were talking about um, being a buyer on film and I really wanted to cover this because um, in, in, in my world of horror films and blood and gore and special effects makeup and all that kind of stuff, I'm really drawn to vampire movies for some reason. I don't know why. I like I like seeing <laughs> people get bit on the neck. I don't know. I actually like seeing people get turned into a vampire. I don't know what it is. That's a few things. Oh. But um, you... Romantic darkness, I think. Everyone loves a bit of romantic darkness. Yeah, there's a bit of that too. And I notice, like with vampire movies in the in the current day, they're more action filled now. Whereas in the Hammer days, which is a sixties horror house production company, Hammer Hammer Films, yep. Hammer Productions, yep. they had that creepiness to horror where you you know as the music alone and the hair and makeup alone and the the, the sounds that were put into the film. Everything made you feel creepy and scared. But now it's like loud and bang and action-packed. Like a vampire now is a kickboxer that, you know, can punch the hell out of 5,000 people and 
it's all about their strength and power. They've lost yeah. the, the, the fear of it all. So speaking of the fear of it all and one of the best vampire movies that's been around was Queen of the Damned. Yes, that was... You worked on it. Yeah, that was... Um, oh, my God, my brain's just gone brain fuzz. You're um, right. a sequel to Interview with a Vampire. Oh, yes. Which had Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt in it. And then they shot um, out here. Yeah. And in Keelor. What? Was amazing. It was hilarious. <laughs> I took over the studios in Keelor. Yeah. And um, I was lucky enough to be wardrobe buyer on it. And so I was just a crazy shopping human. And I was in heaven because it was, most of it was very gothic. And that we had, I don't know, a lot of people would remember the crowd scenes were like hundreds and hundreds of goths because the vampires. Um, there were rock star vampires. So there were big band scenes and then the crowds had to be gothic. So we got a lot of gothic extras, obviously, but yep. we needed way more than Melbourne had. And <laughs> and then I had to extract pretty much every bit of black gothic, anything from anywhere. Wow. And then the... Um, but the main cast costumes were designed by Angus Strathy and they were divine. They really were extraordinary. And, um, yes. um but are you, what were you talking about before what the vampires did? Cause I do remember there was a, um, he was like a biker. I actually haven't watched it for a while. He was like a, one of the biker vampires. Yes. And we, we, I bought an outfit that was, put together by Angus that was really, really cool and Angus um, and Ross put the costume together, looked really cool and then when it got to set, he was put in a skivvy by the the director and um, there's probably bits of this story that are wrong but I do remember looking at it going, how did he end up in that and what happened to the really, really cool outfit? (laughs) Yeah, I think I remember seeing the skivvy going, "Um, is this made in Australia? I think that's when I realised. Very random. So, but anyway, and then there was a beautiful scene where there were a whole lot of um, vampiric women and they were all in 70s sort of yes. floaty outfits. Yeah, but the whole thing ended up being cut in the end. But each, I think it was only a small portion of it used and I can't remember how many there were, but there were a huge amount of outfits for these amazing women and um, all these sort of supermodels that rocked up and they all had a colour. So it might have been like a muted 70s violet colour outfit and then I would have to go and match the shoes and the jewellery so that they kept their colour component and which was an amazing puzzle to to put together and quite stressful because I was running around town and it had to be on set at this time and the shoe size had to be this and this colour and da 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 da, da. Um, Yeah, and then that was cut as well. Oh, <laughs> was what? Like, that was my most favourite scene. So I was like, oh. But um, I know, so that often happens throughout. Mm. You know, a lot of people don't say all that sort of thing. But it was the most brilliant film to work on. I was heavily pregnant at the time and my daughter Ruby, so 
I, I, it was a fair sort of bit of craziness. I don't know how I did that, but loved every minute of it. Hey, and just doing something that big here because yeah. there hadn't been so many then. Now, of course, there have been, but... But it's, it really is, it does definitely have a huge cult following everywhere, like in nearly every country, uh, yeah. because it was, at the end of the day, it was extremely well produced and yeah. uh, hair and makeup was phenomenal. The wardrobe was really great. It was high end. It was on the mark. The bar yeah. scenes, the vampires in the bar scenes, they just looked really up with it like whoever was you were saying who was in charge of wardrobe before yeah um or just angus really i i admired the differentiation between characters but also their individuality what they were wearing and yeah even crowd scenes they had that they had it right even in some of the crowd scenes so yeah yo so a big part of that good good um it's such a great thing to play with that kind of genre and topic as well. It's just, and, yeah. And a tribute to Ar- is it Alia? Yes. A tribute yeah. to Alia because uh-huh. she she passed quite soon after that. I think she was only 22, is that right? I don't actually know her age, but it wasn't like And that was quite, that was incredibly shocking. She, it was a car accident, yeah. wasn't it, that she no, passed away? A plane accident. A plane accident. Oh. Yeah. So tragic, Sorry. so soon. She was just about to become an I – mean, she was already a star, but an absolute superstar because she nailed that role and it really did get her a lot of extra attention, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. So hats off to her and tribute to her and her family and – Incredible role and a great film and a great tribute to the vampire Dracula genre. Hope, hope. It's a good addition, yeah. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. Definitely good addition. Hey, so, and then, yo, I, I, I just wondered because, I mean, you did a lot of um, uh, stage management here in, in Australia for a lot of some of the really big musicals, Yeah. Well, it wasn't – no, I didn't do stage management. I did for opera. That's where I ah, learned stage yeah. management. Right. Then I moved into my scope of wardrobe and props where I started to do the more creative. But the stage management initially was um, such a good space to get an understanding of how the the creative piece worked, whether it was – you know, theatre, film, opera. Mm. Yeah, so that's where I started and then from then I went on to, I initially went on to wardrobe with the Victorian State Opera and then I went on to props and then I went back into wardrobe. (laughs) Yeah. What were, can you name three of your favourite shows that you worked on in in theatre? Uh, I think the ones that had, well, maybe the ones that had the biggest impact, mm. um, Les Mis, because, uh, starring, Hugh, Jack- most- starring Hugh Jackman, uh, Les Mis, no, that had Anthony Warlow. Ah, uh, yep. So I think that was probably, um, that was one of my first big props, commercial prop shows and, 
I was I was actually the swing um, props person, which meant I had to learn all six. I think there were six plots. And at any given time, I would swap from one job to another. And for me, that was such a achievement to be able to function that. It, and it became clear that, you know, a good swing or emergency person is worth their weight in salt. Cause, um, 100%. But, yeah, yeah, because of the flexibility. So that really taught me what I could do. Um, oh, my God. I don't know. And and listening to, you know, standing beside people like Anthony Warlow singing, like, physically on stage was just an amazing experience. So that, that was it. It was also such an emotionally heavy show that it really was quite hard. It was long, and at the end of the night, you did kind of feel exhausted because emotionally it's, you went through it. So... Um, oh my God. Sunset Boulevard for me was big because I bought all the props for it. And, um, I went to London to see it, to bring it back. And, and working with Hugh Jackman was just (sighs) divine. Yes. It always, it's always divine working with Hugh. Yeah, I did two, um, I did two years with him and cut his hair for two years. What was that? What uh, was that on? He hosted a show called In Fashion with Melissa Hoyer, who's a, sty- ah, a Sydney stylist, yeah. well, a, a, an editorial stylist. And I had a segment on the show myself, which was pretty amazing, and doing hair and makeup stuff and just a great gang. But mainly I looked after Melissa Hoyer and Hugh Jackman and he was just like the consummate professional just fun and serious yeah. and really like just high end yeah like just got the job done and it was so many times we did one takes he was that good so as was yeah. as was melissa hoyer i might add um yeah, yeah no. but yeah so and what about a third one did you do rent no i didn't do rent but i, I don't know that i can pick a third i mean i designed the costumes for Countdown the musical at um, Tilburg and Big Crown Casino and I I got an age review sort of comment on the costume so to me that was I was a bit excited by that Um, and that was nice because it linked up with my dad's work with Countdown so it was quite that was quite a happy place to be working in that but then I worked in Scotland um, and did Madame Butterfly for the Scottish Opera, and that was really hard, but kind of still such a good memory because I still managed to get through, you know, being somewhere else and doing it quite a difficult job, and people were a bit challenging until they got to know me and me, them, and, yep. you know, I, I survived it. So that's kind of is one of the good ones as well. Oh, that's good. My dog's sneezing in the background if people can hear. Oh. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so and and, and uh, people getting to know you and uh, relationships growing is great. It's really not great when they're getting to know you and it's not growing. <laughs> it's like just yeah, no, staying it's stale. Oh. Yeah. That's very no, rare. Not. That's very rare though. One thing I love about 
relation and relationships in the arts is is the colour behind forming relationships and the strength in keeping them and 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 the pressures that you you make relationships under and the pace at which you get familiar with someone that's what i was going to say i don't know that they they don't tend to stay in a holding spot for long because the creativity and the necessity of the process just makes it have to move so getting along and not getting along eventually something's got to turn because something you've got to continue and if you know that old thing the show's got to go on then you get pushed through that barrier which i think is probably one of the best things about the creative work if only we did that in our normal you know government oh work. here we go i was about to i was about to pull that in and say if only we had some of those qualities and put it into um, I was going to say corporate and use the word government, yeah. but I mean, yes, same, same, but different. Yes, uh, well, yeah. it would be great because sometimes, you know, I, I, I've worked in government and you, you're listening and you're observing and yeah. it's you, you can hear it's, it's so different than working on a film set because you can hear the difference in, wow, I wish some of that art stuff would come across to... Oh my god! You know what? No, but I think it's linked to that blasted tick the box scenario, yeah. see? because that does not get used in that other, you know, field so much. And yeah, maybe that's where the issue is. Tick the box. Um, uh, <laughs> before I just groan every time I hear it. <laughs> yeah, no, I love you groaning like that over that. Good on you. <laughs> hey, um, I've got a new segment coming up which is all about words and they're just words that um, really stimulated me through research and podcast listening, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought we'd throw some educational stuff in there to our listeners, something a bit more creative. But before we do, I really want to pay just a, a, a minute or so tribute to your father because your father worked a, a lot of the, a lot of our listeners work in editorial magazines, TV, film, etc. But, particularly the editorial world, it, it is its own, uh, It's to me, I don't know, it's kind of like a really gorgeous dessert, the editorial world. I love working in it. Um, it's such a special place and there's such unique, special leaders everywhere in that space and they're artistic corporate people and it's, yeah. it, I've, I've, it really is like eating a great dessert for me, getting a job with editorial but let's your dad his role was very much the role of some of my very good friends that currently work at tv week or woman's day or new idea what's your dad's name and what was his title and what did he do um dad was so fred robertson um was the editor of uh tv week and tv scene um at the end of his life yeah. Oh, and t- so what year did he pass away? He did do TV Times, but I, he wasn't. I don't know. Actually, to tell you, it's so long ago. I don't think he was the editor. He was one of the main journalists, though. I think. Right. So he was one, yeah. one of the head journos, and so yeah. and TV Week and TV Times is very much like 
our social media now. We used to have to go buy it in paper format at the shop. Yeah, yeah. And it still is. Like, it's still, to me, to me, I love picking up a magazine and flicking through and seeing images and I know what goes behind it and there's some great people in that biz. So you grew up walking through life just seeing stars left, right and centre. So for you, and then you'd go to school. That's right. Yeah, so, and I very much didn't share that because if I did, people just didn't believe me. So, and I, but I was very much grounded as well at that time because mum um, was, she did work with dad at the ABC for a while, but then she went on to be a teacher and um, working in some amazing education segments like women's prisons and things like that. And, wow. um Yep, yeah, and supporting um, ESL um, students. And so I definitely was brought up with both levels and mum was very much, would participate in um, that TV world, like the Logies and when it was appropriate, but we just had a normal suburban life. Like I really, yeah. Great. It was, um, kept you grounded. Yeah, kept kept us grounded I yeah. think definitely yeah. um, I, mind you I was trying to be ungrounded very much so like I remember meeting Duran Duran with dad and like completely losing my mind and just thinking you know this is the way life is at the age I think I would have been 13 or something at that time right and and dancing with Michael Hutchins at the Countdown Awards oh, and stuff yeah. like that that's right yeah. So just weird, not very normal things. Yeah. <laughs> and brings you into therapy now as a therapist. It does. It yeah. does because anything's possible, isn't it? Anything's apparently. possible. <laughs> You've seen it all. So speaking about editorial, I just want to um, share a few words with people and I want to know if you use these words in your life and where <laughs> you might use them. Okay, so here's our first word of the day. Deleterious. Deleterious. Deleterious is causing harm or damage. Our divorce had a deleterious effect on the children. Have you used that word much in your life? No. I haven't either. It's fairly new to me. No, no, I haven't. I did. I, I find it hard to retrieve that one mm. <laughs> out of my brain. Yeah, right. Well, I just imagine uh, yeah. your, your friends going through a divorce and it's deleterious on the children, the effects of it. Well, you don't always want to use words that other people don't understand either, do you? Because then you've got to then explain what you <laughs> Yes. And if I, a lot of the time I work with people that have got an issue, you know, struggling with stuff or they're a child, so they no, they're not really going to know that word. They're not going to know that word. All right, so word number two. Extemporaneous. <laughs> Extemporaneous. Do you know much about that word? No. So I've heard it. I've definitely heard it. But is it about um, – no, go. No, extemporaneous is like, for example, if you're you're a speaker, a public speaker, and you're about to give a speech, do you read your speech off a piece of paper or are you more extemporaneous and kind of do more of off-the-cut? Off the cuff work with your speech, so it's I guess more engaging and a little bit more 
you know, um, point form and you can just do it off the cuff. So like natural, spontaneous yeah. sort of thing. See, yeah. I'd use those words. Kind of, kind of <laughs> maybe kind of podcasty. Extra, yeah, ex- so a natural, fluid yeah. ability dialogue, yeah. Just how mm. to say that word again is? Yeah, come on. Extemporaneous. 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 Okay, so word number three, I reckon, let's have a listen. This sounds almost therapeutic to me, so you might know this one. Sacrosanct. Sacrosanct. Do you use that much? Uh, Probably not not often. I was going to say not much. Not much, mate. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, definitely. Um, And because I talk a lot about sacred things that are things that are are important to people and that's very much part of my work so yeah well this is how i see your role at work the individual's right to work has been upheld as sacrosanct we can't (laughs) we can't they're so valuable we can't interfere with that we can't remove it it's also goes it also goes along the same line as routine like that routine is so sacrosanct it's so valuable it works it it has merit. It 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 educates. It gets results. So why would you remove it from a program? So, yeah, it's like so a it's like, it's like a core element, like yep. it's imperative, or it's um it can yeah be part of belonging and place and belief and all those really important things. So it's definitely not. It's a thing that you wouldn't remove first. Correct. No. There you go. Yeah. Well, you know, I just sort of throw some creative words in there, seeing that you and I have done uh, come from that editorial background and we kind of lose our linguistics at times, don't we? I don't know that I ever gained them. That's what <laughs> 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 like I, use, I just either. use a different level of words and I love words, but mm. I do believe if you can't, retrieve them or can't find them or don't use them a lot, then transferring them to someone else and then having to explain what they mean for the sake of it, and I have had people do that to me, then diffuses, you know, they use what it. we're actually Some, talking about. Yeah, sometimes they use it to throw you like, I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm so intelligent yeah. that, you know, yeah. Yeah. I've froze, frozen everyone with my words. Yeah, bless them. Bless them. Bless. Yo, yo, thank you for coming back onto the podcast. And thank you, Jules. I really think that we'll do some more down the track at some stage. There's been a few people that really want to come back and they've got some great ideas. So we're going to share those and maybe we'll pull you in on another interview or two down the road. But thank you so much. Is there anything you want to share? No. Putting you on the spot. So much for um, the opportunity, but um, I just thought your way and your discussions are so gorgeous, Jewel. Thank you. You too. So it'll be interesting to say. I love that word section. Thanks. It's not something I'm particularly good at, mind you, but I do find it fascinating. And some of your little, those quirks I think are quite interesting. So mm, Thank you. Yeah. Let's see where you go to from now. You've had a bit of a gap. Yes. 
Yeah. Watch and this space. I'll, I'll plug your GoFundMe again, just in case. <laughs> Thanks, love. I'll put a link. I'll put a link at the um, in the description for this podcast. Yeah. If anyone wants to read further into it, rather than going too far into it on the podcast, yeah. Thank you, thank you, lovely. That's very yeah, com- yeah. very compassionate of you. Oh, that word, my compassionate department. Yes. <laughs> All right, lovely. We'll speak soon. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening in. And if you've got any feedback, please send us messages. We do get them. And uh, I'll put an email address if you've got any fantastic ideas for possibilities for shows or discussions, ghost stories, UFO stories, um, I don't know, like up-and-coming events, things like that. Um, and, yeah, you please, you can respond to Yo and um, give her some feedback on her on, on our comment section if, wherever you listen to your podcast. And please subscribe or share if you think this has been a good enough project, podcast for you. Just share it or definitely like it for me and or become a subscriber. Thank you very much. We'll speak to you guys soon. Have a lovely week. Bye for now. Happy New Year.